Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Spirit of the living God, uh, we do pray that you would fall afresh on us today. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the goodness and the grace of God. We thank you for the salvation of Jesus. And so as we come to your word today, would you bring it alive to us, we ask. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Do something new and fresh in us today. May today not be a day where we where we just come and we listen. We don't want to be those who just listen. An apprentice of Jesus is one who listens and obeys. And so that's my heart today, that we would be those who hear your word and respond to what you are doing in our lives. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I grew up in Mildura. I don't know, has anyone been to Mildura? Anyone? Yeah, oh, look at that, a, a few people. Well, I grew up in Mildura and my grandparents actually owned Humpty Dumpty Tourist Farm. I don't know if anybody used to go to Humpty Dumpty and it is very true, Humpty Dumpty did fall off the wall. Um, some vandals actually knocked Humpty, Humpty Dumpty off the wall, burn him down. Anyway, so that was, my, that was my childhood and so I do know the nursery rhyme. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to uh, share that with you. No, I'm not going to today. I'll save you that one. But we grew up in Mildura. And so if you, do, if you don't know Mildura, Mildura is a country town in Victoria. Its closest capital, though, is Adelaide. And, uh, but it's on the border of uh, Victoria and New South Wales. And the Murray River kind of lines that, uh, that border, essentially. And, uh, so I, and we used to live only like a couple of hundred metres away from the river. So I spent a lot of time on the river, a lot of time uh, down at the river. Now, one of the things, just to say too, is I loved fishing, but I, I don't know, anyone else here, I couldn't touch the fish when I caught them. I don't know if it's just because they were carp, because I didn't, I didn't catch many cod, just because they were carp and they were so slimy, I, I just couldn't deal with it. So I'd always catch it and give it to a mate and he would, uh, and he would kind of um, scale it and do whatever you meant to do with it. Or anyway, But we used to live down the river and used to love going out on boats and all sorts. But one of the things that we used to do as kids that was just so much fun is that we would, uh, we would uh, find a, a tree that had lot, dropped down a lot of sticks and we would get the sticks, we would kind of cut them to size just with our hands and we would grab some fishing line uh, or some rope uh, or some twine or whatever that we had and we would kind of uh, sew the and stitch the bits of wood together to make a little uh, raft out of the sticks. And uh, just like little drift, uh, I think we've got a picture of uh, what we kind of used to do. Uh, that one's got a sail on it. We never got to the point of a sail, uh, but we would just make our little uh, stick, uh, uh, little boats like that, and we would race them uh, or drift them down the Murray. We'd kind of set up about 
30, 40, 50 metres uh, down, uh, down the Murray would kind of find a tree and would say, OK, that tree, that's the finish line, OK? And uh, then would put the, uh, the boats in the water and uh, would watch them uh, drift and would have a competition to see whose boat would win the drift race. And it was a stack of fun. One of the things was, if you know much about the Murray, you know that uh, you know, we've seen here, even in, in SA, that uh, floods can come up uh, pretty quickly, but it's got some strong currents to it. And uh, there's often quite a big flow. And so sometimes when we'd race these boats, they would go so fast. Like, it would be straight down and we'd kind of be running along as little kids uh, chasing these boats to the finish line. Other times, uh, if you know anything of the, of the river, there's often a lot of logs or reeds and so the boats would get stuck in the reeds or caught on a log. At other times, though, the floods, uh, the, 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 the flow and the currents were so strong that the poor little boats would find themselves in the middle of the Murray, and we weren't going as kids just deep into the middle of the Murray, would find themselves lost in the middle of the Murray. The flow and the currents just took them out. I'm not one who uh, normally gives a specific a title to, the, to my messages. I just haven't tended to do that. But as I was praying and preparing about today's message, a title did come to me, and it is this, the danger of the drift. The danger of the drift. And so that is what I wanted to title today's message. Because you see, these little boats were just made of sticks. They had no motor, no rudder, nothing to propel them or steer them or guide them towards the finish line. They were vulnerable to the currents, vulnerable to the flow of the river, and they basically went wherever the river flow and currents took them, at times getting stuck or lost and not finishing the race. And I actually think that this is a good illustration when it comes to our discipleship to Jesus, when it comes to our life of faith. And why is that? Because if you and I are honest, we can all easily drift in our faith. We can all easily drift away from Jesus. We can easily find ourselves at a point in life where we are stuck. We're just stuck. At other points in our life, in our discipleship to Jesus, we might actually find that we are lost. You see, we are actually all just a decision or two away from drifting away. Did you know that? We're actually all just a decision or two away from drifting away. You see, you might not necessarily be thinking of giving up on Jesus and faith today. You probably didn't just wake up today and go, okay, today, the 21st of January, 2024, I'm just going to throw in my faith. That's it. I'm going to throw in the towel on it. I'm going to make that decision today. I might just go to one 9.30 service, and then after that, I'll actually do it. You probably didn't, you probably didn't do that. You see, often, decisions like that, don't tend to, we don't tend to throw away our faith intentionally, instantly, or deliberately. We don't tend to wake up one day and do that. Rather, we tend to drift away. That's how it works. Month by month, day by day, moment by moment, 
decision by decision, one choice here, one choice there, and before we know it, we're off track and we find ourselves in the middle of the river looking around and realising that we've lost Jesus. Realising that we've lost sight of him. You see, here's the thing. Our discipleship to Jesus, your discipleship to Jesus is not neutral. It's not neutral. It is a contested space. Most things in this life flow away from faith. Most things in life flow away from Jesus, flow away from the ways of Jesus. Our hearts don't tend to drift towards him. What does the scripture say? It says that our hearts are deceitful above all things. You cannot trust your heart. You cannot trust your heart. And so we all find ourselves tempted to look to other things which we suspect may be better than Jesus. Whether those things be work and we just throw ourselves into our work, invest our life, our time to the point where we have no margin in life in any other way. Our relationships, we throw ourselves into a new relationship or money or anything else. And this is why the drift is so dangerous. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's experienced this. I'm not sure... I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been tempted in life by the drift. I've been following Jesus now for 44 years and there have been times when there's been tempted by the drift. But I'm sure that you've experienced it too. I'm sure you've seen people in your life too who have been caught up in the danger of the drift. Some of my best mates growing up, the ones that I went to youth group with, the ones that I served alongside, the ones that I prayed with, the ones that I did mission with, they're no longer following Jesus. They've drifted away. Some have experienced real pain in their life and this has caused them to doubt the goodness of God. Others have made decisions at certain points in their life that has meant they are now living for something else and no longer have time for church for Jesus or for their Christian friends. And for others, one of my mates began to doubt whether following Jesus was actually all it was promised to be. And so he slowly ended up drifting back to his old ways and his old life. So here we stand at the front end of 2024. And it's a good question to ask is this, do I have a drifting heart? Do I have a drifting heart or are you drifting in your faith? Are you drifting in your faith? This is only a question that between you and God you can ask. But it's also one that you can ask your partner, husband, wife, close friend. Have you seen anything in my life that might reveal to you that I might just be coasting, that I might just be drifting in, in life? You see, we need those types of, you know, we say as a church that we want to be an authentic community. An authentic community is one that can be honest with one another. An authentic community is one where we can encourage one another and spur one another on in faith. And so right at the start of 2024, be honest with yourself and be brave enough and courageous enough to maybe ask somebody else 
Am I drifting in my faith? Am I coasting in my faith? And if you are, if, if you today, if you go, you know what, Dan, if I'm honest, that is me. It's my prayer that today might be a, a wake-up call for you as we open God's word and we see what he has to say to us today. But one person, one person who knew the dangers of a drifting heart is the writer of Hebrews. And although we don't exactly know who the writer of Hebrews is, there is zero doubt about the purpose of the book and what the writer wanted the Jewish Christians of the day to know and what the writer wants you and I to know today. And you want to know what it is? It's, it's super simple. Here is the simple message of what the writer of Hebrews wants, wanted the early Christians to know and what he, the person wants you and I to know today. Here it is here. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. There you go. You don't have to go and read Hebrews if you don't want to. I encourage you to do that. But that's it. That's the simple yet profound message of Hebrews. This is a simple message that the author wanted you, the people to know 2,000 odd years ago and wants you and I to know today and for you online, Jesus is better. There is no one greater. There is no one more beautiful. There is no one more wonderful. There is no one more satisfying than Jesus. And the writer points everything back to Jesus because of his purpose, or their purpose, I should say, because of their purpose, which is found in Hebrews 2.1. And have a look. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not what? Drift away. The writer of Hebrews writes the book of Hebrews to the Jewish Christians of the day to remind them that Jesus is better because his heart, or their heart, sorry, and their purpose is that you and I wouldn't drift away. That we wouldn't drift away in our faith. You see, you and I aren't the only ones today who are prone to drifting away. So what does it take to stop the drift? What does it take to stop the drift and to finish the race? What does that take? Well, today we're in Hebrews chapter 12 and we're looking at verses 1 to 4. We've been doing this since January 7 and, uh, and we're looking at basically four verses over four weeks. And uh, today we're looking at uh, the first bit of chapter, um, of chapter 12. We're looking at verse 2 uh, today. And this is where the writer encourages us to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And without giving away the simple message today, which it really is, but without giving away the antidote to drifting, the antidote to drifting is actually fixing your eyes. Okay, and that's what we're going to explore today. So let's have a look. And uh, I want to do what uh, Esther encouraged us to do or asked us to do last week as we read this, and that is that I want us to stand together and read this. So would you stand with me? Because part of, uh, part of running the race is that little two-letter word in the middle there that says, let us run. And so we're kind of all in this together. So yes, you have a race marked out for you, uh, but to, for you to... 
run that race well, you need the person sitting next to you. You actually need the person on the other side of here. You actually need one of our people who are online today. We need each other to run this race well. And so let's read this together today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word today. You can grab a seat. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Next week, Ellie will open up that, uh, that passage uh, for us. So for the author of Hebrews, you and I, we're not called to drift through life. We're not even called to walk through life. We're certainly not called to meander through life, we are called to run through life. We are called to run the race of life. And we're called to run it with patience or perseverance, as we saw last week from Esther. And we're called to do it fixing our eyes on the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Fixing our eyes on the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. What, what does it mean, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith? Faith. Well, it means this. It means that Jesus has pioneered the way of faith and salvation. It means that he has started it. He has authored it. He has pioneered the way of faith and salvation. It means that he's already run and he's already completed the race, completed the course. He's run it on our behalf and he's run it for us. He is our salvation and our life. This is why we cannot earn our faith or complete it in any way or run it even in such a way that we earn first place in any way because he is the pioneer. He is the author of it. He's the perfecter of it and he's ultimately the finisher of it. It's all because of him. You see, you and I, the reality is this, that we are actually only even in the race because of the grace of Jesus. And this is good news. And the good news is that Jesus, because Jesus has already run the race of faith on our behalf, because he has already run the course, he has made it across the finishing line. He's made it across the finishing line. And so here's the good news. And so waiting for you and I at the finish line is not just another member of the hall of faith, as good as they are, and as great as an example as they are for you and I. All of those heroes of the faith that we read in chapter 11 are for you and I to look at, to learn from, to be encouraged by, and to motivate us in our faithfulness to Jesus. But here's the thing. At the centre of those heroes of faith, waiting for you and I at the finish line, is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith himself. That 
is the good news. He is waiting for you. He is waiting to welcome you and I. And this is the, this is the truth that the writer of Hebrews wants for the first Jewish Christians and for you and I to be the central motivator and to help us to persevere and to run this race with hope and with faith. You see, one of our core values again here as a church is Jesus-centred. We say that Jesus is the one that we follow and the centre of who we are and all that we do. This passage that we're looking at today is one of the ones that helped to inspire that, that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. He is the centre of the, the heroes of faith. You see, our task as those who call ourselves followers of Jesus or as those who are apprentices to Jesus, our, our task is to follow in his steps and to fix our eyes on him. And this takes him being front and centre in our lives, front and centre in our vision. And so let me ask today, where are your eyes fixed? What's front and centre in your life right now? What's front and centre in your life. Maybe you could ask this, what's front and centre in your marriage even if, if you're married here today? What's front and centre in your family? What's front and centre in your lives? Are your eyes, are your eyes darting around looking at all sorts of other opportunities, all sorts of other things that you think might be better? Or is Jesus front and centre? Are your eyes fixed on him? You see, this matters. This matters today. Just like it did back then. This matters because there are many things that are vying for your attention this year. Did you know that? We're only at the start of the year. But there are many things right now and there are many things throughout this year that will come up that are vying for our attention. Many things that will come in front of you. Many opportunities that will come in front of you and demand that you pay attention to them. And often they'll be good things. There'll be good things that will present themselves to you as things worthy of your attention. Things that will promise to satisfy you. Things that will look good. They will look like they will satisfy. But they are not the God thing for you. You see, remember, our discipleship to Jesus isn't neutral. It's a contested space. And so if you take your eyes off Jesus and lock your eyes on something or someone else, do you know what will happen? Your heart will follow. Your affections will follow. And you will find yourself drifting away. You will find yourself with a drifting heart. And this is whether or not you are young to faith, or you are young in age and you are here today, or you are older in life. You see, here's the reality is this. Where your attention goes so does your affections. Where your attention goes, so does your affections. We could say this another way. Where go your eyes, go your heart. Where go your eyes, go your heart. We will always move in the direction of what we are focused on. That's just the reality. We'll always move in the direction that we are focused on. And this is why it matters where we fix our eyes when we run, where we fix our vision 
where we fix our attention. And this is the reason why the writer of Hebrews says to run with your eyes fixed on Jesus because Jesus is actually better. Jesus is better. He's better than anything than you think might be better than he is. That you might be tempted to want to give your affections and your attention to. One person who knew the importance of fixing his eyes on Christ as his reward was actually Moses. And you might be going, Dan, Moses? Moses lived like 1,500 years before Jesus. How, how did Moses fix his eyes on Jesus? How, how, what, what do you mean? He didn't even know uh, that, that Jesus was, a, was around then. How, how did that happen? Well, let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I want us to turn Hebrews 11, chapter 24 to 26. Let's take a look at this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, the writer of Hebrews was writing to, as I said before, Jewish Christians who were tempted to go back and to follow Moses, to follow the law of Moses, to go back to their religious ways. And so the author is making a point here, as he does in chapter 3 as well, that Jesus is in fact a greater Moses. And you might want to go back, you might want to look left and right, you might want something different, but in fact... You might want to go back and follow Moses, but Moses was actually justified by faith in Jesus Christ, even in his day. And God has revealed Jesus Christ to Moses. And so by faith, Moses ran his race looking ahead to Christ. You see, after Moses' parents placed him in a basket in the river, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, if you know the story. And this was a moment in Moses' life that resulted in a dramatic change of circumstances for Moses. It actually saw his whole life open up before him. He essentially became the grandson of Pharaoh. This meant that he now had status. This meant that he now had opportunity. This meant that he now had wealth. This meant that he now had power. But the amazing thing is that he didn't look to those things he didn't drift away because of those things. Instead, he looked ahead to his reward, Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 24 to 25. How good is this? Look at what he says. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter or refused to be known even as the grandson of Pharaoh. Rather, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What this is saying is that Moses, rather than associating himself and being aligned to, the, to Pharaoh and to that family, said, you know what? I'm actually going to align myself with the people of God. I'm actually going to align myself with the family of God. And I'll align myself with the benefits of that rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. And if that wasn't enough, look again at verse 26. 
He goes on, he says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Maybe we could say it this way, that we, are we prepared to say that we regard disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Australia, than the treasures of Adelaide, than the treasures and the benefits that we might see around us? You see, rather than all the treasures of Egypt, he regarded Christ as his greatest treasure, as the great reward. For Moses, one of the great heroes of the faith, looking ahead to Christ was better than any pleasures that Egypt had to offer. And they had a lot to offer. See, if we're honest, it's easy for us to spend half of our life pursuing things that look good, perhaps even are good, but they are not of God and they ultimately don't satisfy. But Moses recognises that the pleasures of sin and the treasures of this world are actually temporary. They fade and they ultimately do not satisfy. They promise a whole lot, but they deliver little. The Apostle Paul recognised this too, didn't he? And many of you will know this. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes this. He says that, I saw everything that I had basically as, as worthless, he says, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is the same language, right? For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Why? So that I could gain Christ. So that I could gain Christ. He knows that these things can take affections and attention away. He goes on and says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let me ask today, do you believe what Moses believed? And that, that, that there is greater treasures in Jesus than there is treasures in this world? Do you believe what Paul believed? That there, you can consider everything else garbage compared to knowing Christ and having Christ? Or are you still tempted to believe that all the things this world puts in front of you will satisfy you? Do you believe what Moses believed? Do you believe what Paul believed? In a moment... The way I want to respond to this message, because it is actually a very simple message, right? Jesus is better. Nothing else will satisfy. It's a simple message. The way I want to respond to it is I want to read some scriptures over us. I want to worship some more. And we want to take some time to have communion together, which is an opportunity to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
But before we do that, there's something else that I want us to see in this passage. And I don't want us to miss it today. And that is this. Can you imagine what would have happened if Moses had have drifted in his faith? Try to put yourself in this story. Moses finds himself in Pharaoh's household, grandson to Pharaoh, with every opportunity, everything set up for him. Status, wealth, power, you name it. His life is opened up for him. Do you know how easy and tempting it would have been for him to throw everything of the people of God and his understanding of, of, the, of God and the, the chosenness of the people of God away and to align himself with the family of Pharaoh and all of that? What would have happened if Moses had have drifted in his faith, if he hadn't had a revelation of Christ and hadn't looked ahead to Christ? Can you imagine what would have happened if the treasures of Egypt became of greater value to him than Christ? So here's the thing. Moses didn't set out to be a hero of the faith. He didn't think, do you know what? 2,000 years, or not even that, yeah, 2,000 or so years down the track, as a guy or a girl, whoever it's going to be, is actually going to write a book, and they're going to write a chapter called Chapter 11 of Hebrews, and they're going to list all the heroes of the faith, and I want my name in there. He didn't think like that. He didn't set out to become a hero of the faith. All he set out to do was to be faithful. He just set out to take the next step of faith and to trust God to continue to persevere, to fix his eyes on Christ. And do you know what? Because he didn't drift away, God's people ultimately found their freedom. Through one man's perseverance, one person whose eyes were squarely fixed on Christ his reward, Millions of lives were changed. So let me ask you today. Whose life, whose future might you impact for Jesus? Because you didn't give up. Because you didn't drift away. Maybe this question here. Who's looking to you as their hero with the faith? Who's looking to you as their hero in the faith? Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's your son, your daughter. Maybe it's someone at, at work. Maybe it's someone here in this room. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Who is looking to you as your hero of faith? Because here's the thing. Whether you like it or not, someone is looking to you to know how it is to follow Jesus. They're looking to you as you are looking to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Essentially, he's saying this. Look to me as I Look to Christ. Are you living a life 
worth imitating? Are you living a life where you can say to somebody, look at me while I'm looking at Christ. Look at how I follow Jesus. Look at how I'm apprenticed to him and follow me so that you don't drift in your life. You might think, you might think that no one's looking to you, that you are too old, that you're too young even. It ain't true. Someone is looking to you to be their hero in the faith. And you either have a way of helping them to not drift because you don't drift or you could live in such a way that you find yourself lost stuck in life and you look around and you've lost sight of Jesus and another person too has lost sight of Jesus you see If I look back on my life, I've taken an encouragement from the heroes of the faith in chapter 11, from Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Sarah, Rahab. But if I'm honest, at times, they feel feel a little too far away for me to sometimes connect with. But seeing the likes of my granddad live to like 96 and continue to follow Jesus seeing the likes of my father continue to follow Jesus strongly, my uncle, other friends around me in ministry, to see other people continually follow Jesus. I can look to them. And that gives me hope and faith that I too can make it through. They are an encouragement for me to persevere in faith. Will you stand with me today? Because our discipleship and our apprenticeship to Jesus, it's, it's both. We look to him, we fix our eyes on him. That's what it takes. But it also means that like Paul, we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me. Look to me as I look to Jesus. And so what I want us to do today, just as we, as we close, we're going to spend some time worshipping. And we're going to do that in a moment in song. But I want to read some scripture over us today. Because I want us, most importantly, to get a glimpse again of the beauty, the majesty, the glory of Jesus. And so let me read some passages. And to do this, you might want to close your eyes. You might even want to reach out your hands in a way like this just to say, I want to receive some of this in my life because, Dan, I am at a point of of drifting. And so let me just read some scriptures from Hebrews that reminds us again that Jesus is better. Hebrews 6.9 says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Hebrews 1, 1 1-4 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for us. In 10.39 it says, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Church, Jesus is better. He is more wonderful. He is more satisfying than anything that this world offers us. And so we're going to come in a moment and we are going to sing. We're going to fix our eyes and our attention on him. And as we do that, our affections and our our heart for him will grow. This is our calling is to fix our eyes on him. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just have your way in this time of worship, this time of reorientating our eyes, reorientating our affections to the beauty of Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way. Jesus. Reveal yourself to us in a fresh way today. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are here who may have answered yes to that drifting heart question, that you would remind us and that you would reveal yourself to us in a special and powerful way so that this year can be different for us. So Jesus, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the Hub online at thehub.rbc.com. 
www.ministry.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.